Lord, we come here in the midst of the craziness of our world, excited that we can gather as family and connect with people and travel again, but also aware that there's people who are cautious and hesitant and unsure. And we continue to be a world that is divided in many different ways. And so, Lord, may your spirit come amongst us and be with us and prompt us, Lord, to look around for the other person, those who are near us, those who may be hurting, those who are struggling or grieving, to see those who are happy and joyful. And Lord, help us to love them, no matter where we are at. Help us to see each person we encounter in our community, in our workplaces, in our family, in our church, in light of who you are, and help us to see them as you see them and to love them as you love them. Help us, Lord, to continue to grieve with those who are grieving. We know there's many people who've lost loved ones who have grieved being able to be with their family during significant times. We think of our First Nations communities, Lord, as they continue to grieve as they wrestle with the discovery of unmarked graves. And the truth of what happened is coming to light and is being acknowledged. Help us to weep with those who weep, to listen and grieve with those who grieve. As we look around and see children playing and celebrating and doing sports and activities and families gathering and vacationing, help us to celebrate and rejoice that families can be together and enjoy life together during this season. And Lord, help us to realize that nothing is ever certain for what is to come except for one thing, that you love us. That the only thing that is certain is that Jesus died and rose again and will one day return. And he died for us for the forgiveness of our sins that we can have life eternal in him, the fullness of life. Help us to set our eyes on that and not all the noise of the world around us. And Lord, I thank you that we can gather as a church again and be together. I thank you for technology that allows people online to gather with us here in person and to stay connected with video calls and telephone calls and even letter writing and all these wonderful things that you've enabled us to do, Lord. We thank you and celebrate that. And I thank you that we can do a family series in July where we can just worship together as families with all ages together and just be together and set our eyes on you and give you glory. And so, Lord, may the meditations and thoughts of our hearts and mind be pleasing to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen. Now, Az should be here somewhere. Az? Ah, good morning, Az. Good morning, Pastor Mike. I, uh, I'm a little out of breath. Ah. So I, 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 uh, I just got back from the Serengeti. The Serengeti. Well, you were in a jungle last week, I thought. Oh, that was a virtual background. The Serengeti, that's right. I, 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 uh, I have a side gig 
doing safari appearances. Ah, fair enough. It, not, not a bad it, gig. It pays pretty good. Yeah, better they, than doing it in the winter. Yeah, they, they pay me in hyenas. Anyway, I, I've said too much. As it's just great to have you back. And as this week is the fourth week of our Unsung Heroes of the New Testament series. As we've been looking at different unsung heroes, we've also been learning about the gifts that God gave each of those heroes to use to help others grow in faith and, to and grow in love for God. Does that mean we only have one more week left? It does, as your math does not fail you. It's five weeks long, there's only one week left. Oh, no. What's wrong? Well, there's only one more week for me to completely understand God's spiritual gifts. That's not enough time. Why do you only get one more week to completely learn about spiritual gifts? Well, the series ends then. But as, there are many other ways to learn about spiritual gifts. There's going to be other sermons down the road. You could join a small group and study them there. You could read your Bible, and you could talk about it with friends. In fact, I'm happy to talk with anyone about spiritual gifts if they want. I'm glad you're interested in learning. The learning doesn't stop, though, when the series ends. The learning keeps going for a lifetime. It, it. It does? Absolutely, Aslan. Besides, if you thought you could learn everything you need to learn about God and his gifts for us in just a few weeks, wow, that'd be pretty crazy. That'd be like a lion of a challenge to do. <laughs> I, I think it's something we learn about through our whole life, Aslan. Pastor Mike, I had a question. Do your gifts ever change? Or is it that you get one gift... And then don't lose it. Well, Aslan, I'm not sure you can lose a gift from God. And I'm pretty good at losing things. But I, I, I don't think... I do think we can ignore our gifts and not use what God gives us. But you ask a great question. Let me ask, what do you think? Do you think our gifts can change over time? What do you think? Well... Let me think this through using my line of a brain to understand what the Bible has taught us so far. That's a great place to start, I think. So, God gives us gifts, not for ourselves, but for each other, so we can help each other understand God and love God better. Yes. Let's keep going. And... We all have gifts, and each one of us are important in the gifts we have. So, helping each other must be important for all of us to do. So what do you think? Can our gifts change? Well, if God wants us to each be gifted and it's to help each other, well, I'm assuming that sometimes the help we need may change. So, so God could give us a different gift later on if it's needed to help with someone growing in faith. Well, I don't think there's anything that limits the Holy Spirit and what the Spirit does with gifts. So I think you are right on track, Aslan. I do believe our gifting can change over time. Maybe not everyone's gifting changes, but I do think it's possible. 
I heard there's a multiple choice form I can fill out to find my gifts. Yep, and you know what, maybe they can help a little bit, but then that's, some, that's based on someone else's understanding of what is a gift and what isn't and how each gift works. They're based on what people think, so there's some limits to them, but they can help a little bit. So how do I know what my gifts are? Well, that's a really important question, Aslan. I don't think enough of us ask that. Are, are you avoiding my question? How do I know? Well, how do you know if you're good at drawing? Or baking? Or fixing cars? Well, you do them. And if you're good at them, you just kind of know. So you decide you're good at it? Well, if it's building the sandcastle of all the pyramids of Gaza with a sphinx on the side, you do it. If it's fixing a car, you know the car runs. If it's drawing, well, I think people would, could tell if you're good at drawing. Well, spiritual gifts work that way as well, Aslan. As we do things, we can start seeing that God is doing things through us. And we also can see it in other people. So it's really important, really important, that we affirm the gifts we see in one another. Aslan, I think maybe you could have the gift of teaching. I think that's something you should explore more and try out and see if God works for you. And of course, we should be praying for God to show what gifts he has for each of us. Scripture even tells us we can pray for specific gifts to get. That doesn't guarantee we're going to get them. So I would say we need three things. We need prayer, practice, and patience as we wait for God to show us and others to recognize our gifts. Prayer, practice, and patience. Oh, I like that. I think we'll see in our scripture reading today a bit of what that is like. Oh, I like that. Is, is that Mac and Mac, uh, Royal Gallet? Is Apple reading again today? She should be here any minute. In fact, oh, this may be her right now, Aslan. Let's just see. Ah. Great. Hello, Apple. Are those penguins? Are you in Antarctica? I was kind of hot and didn't have air conditioning at home, so I thought we'd cool off. Is it working? In my dreams it is. Well, are you ready to read scripture this morning in the frigid cold? You bet, but first, I have a question for you. You do? I was wondering why you often have two scripture readings every Sunday, but you only talk about one of them. That's a great question. Do you have an answer? Yep, I do. Are you going to share that answer with us? I will. Will you share it right now? <sighs> yes, yes, I was just being a little silly. So, why two readings? Apple, we believe reading the Bible is one of the most important things we do in our church service. We believe God speaks to us through God's word, the Bible. Often when we have two readings, we'll choose an Old Testament passage and a New Testament passage, so we're reading from more than just one part of the Bible. But are they connected at all? 
sometimes it's more connected and really easy to see the connection. Other times there is a connection, but not as easy to see. So why even bother with the second reading? We believe the Holy Spirit speaks to us through the reading of God's Word. So we try to have at least two readings, so we're reading more of the Bible. At least two? I don't remember being more than two very often. Well, we don't always read them at the same time. Often we'll start, we'll read a psalm at the start of the service, or a worship team will share some scripture at that time. We want what we teach and do to be rooted in scripture. That's neat. How do you know which scriptures to use and what to preach? Well, that's another great question, and why don't we talk about that one next week? I, uh, I wouldn't mind getting back to today's scripture reading. Oakley Doakley, Pastor Mike. Ahem. This morning's reading from the Old Testament is taken from Psalm 46, verses 1 to 7, and I will be reading from the New International Reader's Version. Was that good intro, Pastor Mike? That was perfect, Apple. Good. Okay, here we go. God is our place of safety. He gives us strength. He is always there to help us in times of trouble. The earth may fall apart. The mountains may fall into the middle of the sea, but we will not be afraid. The waters of the sea may roar and foam. The mountains may shake when the waters rise, but we will not be afraid. God's blessings are like a river. They fill the city of God with joy. That city is the holy place where the Most High God lives. Because God is there, the city will not fall. God will help it at the beginning of the day. Nations are in disorder. Kingdoms fall. God speaks, and the people of the earth melt in fear. The Lord who rules over all is with us. The God of Jacob is like a fort to us. So, do you see it? I think I do. Uh, me too. Fantastic. What is it? I think it is telling us that God is our help and strength. And that means when we have gifts, we may be really good at something. But we need to remember that we have those gifts because of God. And not ourselves. Wow, you two are awesome. Thanks, Thanks Pastor, Pastor Mike. Mike. Now we have one more scripture reading to go through. It's about someone named, um, Linda? Her name's Lydia. I've never heard of her. Here's what the Bible says about her. Oh, wait, come. This morning I, Apple, shall read the holy and sacred text of divine... Um, perhaps, Apple, just a little simpler? A little simpler. Oh, okay, um... I will be reading from the New Testament. Better. From the New Testament book of Acts 16, verses 11 to 15. At Troas, we got into a boat. We sailed straight for Samothrace. The next day, we went to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony. It is an important city in that part of Macedonia. We stayed there several days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate. We walked down to the river. There we expected to find a place of prayer. 
We sat down and began to speak to the woman who had gathered there. One of the women listening was from the city of Thyatira. Her name was Lydia, and her business was selling purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to accept Paul's message. She and her family were baptized. Then she invited us to her home. Do you consider me a believer in the Lord, she asked. If you do, come and stay at my house. She succeeded in getting us to go home with her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I like that ending, Apple. Where did you learn it? At my old church growing up, we used to say it every Sunday. I kind of miss it. Well, I liked it. Really? I'm glad. Okay, we should let you get back to your sermon now. Thanks for letting me read the Bible. It's a, a priv, prav, prav, privil, privilege. Well, thank you for blessing us by reading the Bible. Have a great day, Apple. Bye-bye. So, we're learning about Lydia. She's our unsung hero this morning? Absolutely, Az. Well, I've heard of a cute little two-year-old girl at this church with the name Lydia, but, but I've never heard of this one. Well, I know that Lydia, and she's pretty awesome too, but so is this Lydia in the Bible. So, I guess she is done son, but why is she a hero? Doesn't seem like she did very much. Hmm. I think Lydia is a pretty amazing person, Aslan. And to share that with us, I've got a friend who's going to share about her. On video? Oh, you bet. So... Who is she? Well, her name is Pastor Mandy. She's a pastor in Saskatoon that's a good friend of my family and a wonderful colleague. She's also one of the best preachers I know. Wow. She sounds neat. Is... is she crazy like you? Talking to lions and fruit puppets? <sighs> no, I think she's more normal than me. But... Yeah, she is really smart, though, and she's a great pastor. And why don't you get ready to listen to the rest of the sermon, and we'll turn it over to Mandy to hear what she has to say about Lydia. Good morning, people of the Lord who meet at Parliament Community Church. I'm Mandy Hecht, and I'm the pastor of First Baptist Church in Saskatoon. And I'm delighted that Pastor Mike invited me to share with you a little bit about a woman from the Bible who's a hero of the faith named Lydia. And her story comes to us from Acts chapter 16. And Lydia is a hero of the faith because of the way she shared in the ministry of another hero of the faith, a man by the name of the Apostle Paul. And I'm sure that you have learned or will learn more about Paul on another day. Here's why I think Lydia is a hero of the faith. First of all, she was unexpected. You know, sometimes heroes like Supergirl, The Flash, or Spider-Man, they're actually just pretty ordinary people. They go to school or work or they uh, have a job as a news reporter just like everyone else. And no one really knows how special they are. And I think that's how Lydia was as well. You see, and I'm going to get back to the Apostle Paul for a minute here. Paul wanted to tell everyone about Jesus. And so he would travel around to different cities and tell anyone he met about Jesus. And sometimes he'd stay for a while in one place, and other times he would move on very quickly. But he was always trying to tell more and more people about Jesus. 
And so one time Paul thought that maybe he should go to the province of Asia, but the Bible says the Holy Spirit prevented him from going there. So then Paul tried to go to another place called Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus stopped Paul from going there as well. And then one night Paul was asleep and he had a dream and it was about a man from Macedonia and he was begging Paul to come and help them. And so Paul believed that this was telling him that he should go spread the gospel to people in Macedonia. And so Paul and all his friends went to a city in Macedonia called Philippi and they looked around that city for people to help and they looked and they looked and then several days they were looking for someone just like the man in the dream that Paul had. And then one day they went somewhere where they expected to find a place of prayer in the city of Philippi. And in fact, they did find a bunch of people praying there, but it wasn't the man that Paul saw in his dream. It was a group of women. And among that group of women was Lydia. Lydia was just an ordinary person who was seeking after God, and she wanted to know more about how to worship God. And so when Paul and his friends came to that place of prayer and found Lydia and those other women gathered there, Paul shared with them about Jesus. And Lydia listened to what Paul has to say. And then the Bible says in her heart, she responded to Paul's message. So I think that Paul wasn't supposed to be a man in Macedonia at all. I think God sent him there to meet those women and particularly Lydia. No one knew how special Lydia was and Paul never even expected to meet her. She was, she was an unsung hero of the faith just waiting to be discovered. Now there's another thing you might wanna know about Lydia and that is that she sold purple cloth. Now I know today you can buy fabrics and pretty much every color of the rainbow you would like, but when Lydia was around, purple was a really hard color, color to dye clothing and the process was very expensive. So people like to have clothing made of purple cloth because it might show how wealthy they are, but not very many people could afford to buy purple cloth. So for Lydia to be someone who knew both how to make purple cloth and someone who sold it meant that she was probably quite a wealthy woman. Now being wealthy doesn't make her an unsung hero of the faith, but what she did with her wealth, that makes her a hero. Because when Lydia met Paul, she opened her heart and she believed what Paul said about Jesus and then she did something extraordinary. She invited Paul and all his friends to come and stay at her house. That mean, meant she needed to feed them and remember, it was more than just Paul there. Paul was traveling with another one of his friends named Silas, and Timothy was there and another of their, of their traveling companions. But Lydia had a house that she could find places for Paul and all his friends to sleep, and she had money to buy food for them and help them out. And so she decided to use her wealth to help Paul so Paul could tell other people about Jesus. We might say that when she opened her heart, she put her money where her mouth was. That too makes her a hero of the faith. And finally, there's one more reason that I think Lydia is a hero of the faith, and that is because she showed courage. And here's why I say that. Paul and his friends were staying at Lydia's house, and so everyone knew that Lydia knew Paul. But when Paul was in the city of Philippi, he got into some trouble. And it was bad enough trouble that he and his friend Silas ended up being sent to prison. And when they got out of prison, the people who held them in prison told them that they would probably be better off if they left the city because it would be very easy for them to get back into the same kind of trouble and get sent back to jail. But before they left the city, you know where they went? 
they went to Lydia's house again. And do you think that Lydia was afraid to have someone who some people thought was kind of a troublemaker and a criminal at her house? That may make some of us afraid, but not Lydia. Paul, Lydia let Paul back into her house and she gave him a place where he could talk once more about Jesus. Even though some people might have said, oh, Lydia, you shouldn't have anything to do with him. Maybe it would even have put Lydia in some danger, but she was brave. And so she's an unsung hero of the faith. So I hope you've enjoyed hearing a little bit about Lydia as much as I've enjoyed talking to you about her. And I wish the Lord would bless and keep each one of you. Thank you. Thanks, Mandy, for uh, doing that for us. I really appreciate it, and you did an amazing job helping us learn about Lydia. Mandy and her family are friends, and she's a wonderful colleague, and like I said before, a great preacher and pastor for her church. And uh, maybe sometime we can convince her to come down this way and uh, connect with her, rejoin our roots a bit, and maybe visit us. Lydia is an amazing person. I love the story of her and how she came to faith, how her heart turned to God. Having a heart turned to God for us might mean you have a spiritual encounter. That's a, a term that maybe we use in our world now, but something you experience maybe just on Sunday morning and your life is no different at school or at home or with friends or at work. But for Lydia, having a heart turned to God, it meant not just her heart, it meant her whole life turned to God. You heard how Lydia had the courage to welcome Paul back into her house, despite what people would think, or the danger of welcoming someone people saw as a criminal. She opened her door to him. Or even how Lydia came to faith and she started using all of her resources, whether they be the time, the space in her home, or her financial resources, to help further Paul's ministry and God's work in the world. So there's two things I want us to notice about Lydia. One, she did use her resources to further God's kingdom. Her faith changed how she lived her life and how she used her resources. Now, we believe she was wealthy, and she could have used that wealth to gain power and influence to buy luxury, especially in the Roman culture in which she lived. Instead, she saw her resources as a gift from God to be used for the work God wanted to be done in the world. First and foremost, her resources were focused on God and not on the things of this world. The second thing we learn is that she used her resources in community, not in isolation. The giving and resources Lydia used for ministry were not just given to someone and she walked away never to know what happened. She didn't just write a check and say, here you go. Rather, the gifts and resources were used in partnership and in relationship. Lydia was part of a community of faith. She didn't just resource ministry. She did ministry. Pastor Ben was talking about that. There were no spectators in the early church. We are called to be involved in the body of Christ. We need one another. And the body of Christ needs you. We see Lydia come to faith and become an active part in the community of faith, both with her time and skills, but also her finances and her resources. God wants that from each of us. 
Now, last week we looked at how Mark is an unsung hero of the faith and how he had the gift of service. And so we're going to benefit from Mark's gift a bit this morning and look at three stories in the Gospel of Mark that can help us understand how we can use our resources and gifts, not unlike how Lydia did. Because that was one of Lydia's gifts, was she had these resources she could use for ministry. And I believe we all have resources we can use that God has gifted us with. So the first story we're going to look at is that of the rich young ruler. We're pretty familiar with this story, but let me read it to you. It's from Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all of these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. We can give God 90% of our life and still be holding back from him. God wants us to be all in. He wants all of our life. He wants our hearts fully focused on him. He wants all of our lives honoring him. There's no room to put your faith in a box and separate it from work and home and community. God is everywhere in our lives. He's supposed to be. Why? Because there is only one true God. If we're not willing to let God change our lives in all areas of our life, it means we're saying there's other things that are more important than God. We're then letting those things dictate our lives and not the one true God. Some would even call those things idols. The rich young ruler had so much right. He had kept the commandments since he was a boy. And Jesus loved him. But Jesus had to point out the one thing the man was lacking. Not willing to give over to God, his wealth. There are different things in the, this world that can pull us away from God. For some, it's money. For others, it's popularity. Others want influence or power. Others want comfort or defeat addictions. What is the thing in your life that Jesus would say, one thing you lack? And the first question we need to ask this morning, as we look at how can we become more like Lydia with her gift and using of resources? As we look at using our resources, gifts, and skills that God 
has given us and that we want to honor God with, the question is, is there something you are holding back from God? Now we come to the second story from Mark that will help us understand a bit more what it means to use our resources to honor God. See, we know Lydia was wealthy. I think sometimes we... We say, well, that makes sense that she'd use her resources. She had lots of resources, Pastor Mike. She could do that kind of thing. But not me. I'm just, I'm just scraping by. I'm struggling to make ends meet. I would be more generous if I had more to give. Or, you know, if I, ha- if I had a bigger house or a cleaner house, I'd have more people over into my home. Challenge is we can always make an excuse for why we do not want to use our resources or why it's not the right time or why we're not able. No matter how rich or poor we are, there's always a reason we can come up with if we don't want to yield our life fully to God. And so I want to share with you a story that teaches what it means to be generous. It's not about how much we have. It's about our heart. And this is the story of the widow's offering that we read in Mark chapter 12. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. Now you can just imagine the sound of the coins falling in being loud and people looking and seeing, right? But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Ding, ding. No one would notice. But someone did. Jesus did. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. In our world, if someone only gave a few pennies to charity, we would laugh, snicker, or maybe roll our eyes. We wouldn't put up a sign recognizing that person's donation, would we? You go to the hospitals or, 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 or community buildings and you, you see these donor walls, platinum, gold sponsors, silver, bronze, contributors, 1,000 to 5,000, 5,000 to 10. A million dollars gets you the building named after you. Many charities do this. That's what the world wants, is recognition for giving. Look what I've done. I've got my name on a wall. Now, I know people give for more than getting their name on a wall. But it's interesting that that does seem to also help encourage people to give, isn't it? Yet in God's kingdom, it's not about how much we give. It's not about how much we have. We learn that from this widow who gives just a couple copper coins. It's about our heart. 
do we have a generous heart with what we have been given? The greatest gifts in God's kingdom are not based on the amount given, but on the heart with which they are given. Which means that no matter where you are at, what resources you have, how much money you have, or anything, we can all be generous as God has enabled us with what we have. Because it all comes down to the heart. Which means we need to ask the question, do we have a generous heart? Do you have a generous heart? Maybe the widow's story doesn't convince you that God can use what you have to offer. Maybe you're saying, that sounds great, mate, but be realistic. I really don't have much to offer. It's just me. I'd love to be generous, but what can God do with what I have? Which leads us to the next story in Mark. A story, story very familiar to us. A story about Jesus feeding 5,000 people. It shows us something remarkable. It shows us what God can do with meager portions. What God can do with the little we bring. No matter how small it is. And so we read in Mark 6 a story of five loaves and two fish. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. Oh, I got the wrong passage in here. Christine, can you just run up my phone to me? It's on the counter there. <laughs> this is the problem with copy and paste sometimes. And yes, she keeps me organized like that every day in my life. And I am very, very blessed by her. 22 years she's put up with me, married. I, I think that's a great miracle. So here we go. In Mark 6, so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy them something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. And Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. And then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. And he also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. 
And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. And the number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Mark shares that story. And the Gospel of John builds on it as well. And the disciple Andrew is actually the one who shares, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Now we need to remember, a child wasn't even counted a person in Roman culture. So we have a child with five small loaves and two small fish. Not even big fish or big loaves. This is as meager as it's going to get. And that's all the food the disciples have access to feed 5,000 people. Jesus doesn't laugh. He doesn't say, you can do better than that, people. He doesn't turn his nose up. He says, let's get to work. And a miracle happens. 5,000 people are fed. And in typical Jesus style, leftovers galore. All from the meager offerings of a child. Interesting that stories of generosity that we look at in Mark are a widow and a child. And I hope when you look at the role of this boy and this meager food, if you feel what you have to offer is not good enough, it's not enough or not worthwhile, if it's not worthwhile, then you are missing the boat. Because you're thinking that this is about you. It's about what you can do and what you have. You're thinking that God is limited by your resources. You're thinking that God can't do something magnificent with what you offer. But we know it's about the heart. The heart that you have. We learned that from the widow. And here we see a boy's lunch. And Jesus uses it to do something remarkable. Think about that. Think about what that means in your life with what you can offer to God. Are you limiting God by not offering what you can with a generous heart? because you don't think God can use it. But we see here God can use just meager portions to do extraordinary work. There's a question that comes out of this. And the question is, are you willing to see God do the extraordinary from the ordinary? Are you expecting God to do a miracle? Are you willing to look around? You see, we bring the ordinary, and God does the extraordinary. If we feel that what we're bringing is not enough, it's not the portion or amount that is lacking, but it's our faith that is lacking. We need to recognize it's not about you or me or how much we have. Rather, it's what is God going to do with what we bring to him with a generous heart. God does the extraordinary with our ordinary again and again. 
And so what do you think God can do with what you offer? Are you limiting God in your mind? Because it's not about you. It's about God. All of our gifts are about God. It's not about our limitations. It's about God being unlimited and God loving and wanting to work in us and through us and letting us be a part of what he's doing in this world. And that leads us to that question. Are you expecting God to do the extraordinary from the ordinary in your life? Stop looking through the lens of the world. Stop looking through the limitations of the world and start looking for what God is doing and how God is doing it. God is at work all around us, but sometimes we're so blind because we're looking at ourselves and what we're doing, we forget that, we're, that God's at work beyond us. So look for the extraordinary because our God is not ordinary. He is extraordinary. So there are three questions to wrestle with in our personal lives to help us be like Lydia and have God work through the gifts that he's given us of our resources for the purpose of his kingdom. Resources, whether it be wealth or a house and space or our time and energy or our knowledge. And so the first question is, is there something you are holding back from God today? Something you're not willing to give over to God because you want to control it. And if you are, you need to let it go and yield it to God and give your whole life to him. There's a second question. Do you have a generous heart? Or are you trying to control your resources and say, I don't have enough, I just got to do this. Try having a generous heart. Look at how God wants you to love people. God will enable you to do the work he wants you to do. I don't preach a prosperity gospel. I never will. But I will preach that when we are generous and show God's love, we are blessed. Maybe not financially blessed. We're not going to get rich. We're not called to be rich in this world. But God will bless you in your life. And I can share personally, I have seen that again and again in people's lives, in my own life, as we seek to honor God and be generous and be loving. It's amazing how God works. And I am far richer in ways that this world will never understand because it's God's kingdom. And then the third question, are you expecting God to do the extraordinary? from the ordinary. That question, in many ways, is a game changer. Because that's the question of, do you believe God really is God? That's what pulls us out of the routine of this world. Because if we believe God is God and that God does the extraordinary and we're looking for it, I believe you're going to see it because God is at work in amazing ways. Sometimes small little pieces, but that are amazing to us. Sometimes big grand pieces. Because our God is a mighty God. Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And we begin with each of our lives being a miracle that Christ has redeemed us from our sin and broken us and is giving us the fullness of life here and now and eternal life in glory. 
That's the first thing God is doing. And so if you're saying you don't see God at work, look around this room. Because there's about, I think, 95 people here this morning, I was told. There's 95 miracles right here. And there's more miracles at home. Each of us is a miracle of God doing the extraordinary with the ordinary. Don't take that away. But give glory to God for it. Let's bow in prayer. Jesus, you are the master of turning the ordinary into the extraordinary. For from death came life with you. That is truly extraordinary. And Lord, we were all dead to sin until we came into relationship with you and found life in you and hope in you and grace in you. And that alone is extraordinary. But even more, you want to work in us and through us in this world to help others know the love of God, to have that fullness and eternal life, to see the transformation that only you can offer and to be a part of your kingdom. So help us to live as people with hearts set on you, giving everything over to you. Help us to live as people with generous hearts. And help us to have eyes to see the extraordinary work you do and what is a very ordinary world. But you transform it. And we continue to pray, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In your name we pray, amen.